Good morning to you. My name is BT. I am one of the pastors here at King's Cross. And uh, let me wish you happy Mother's Day uh, to the moms here. I thank the Lord uh, for motherhood and the blessing that it can be in people's lives uh, and mine for sure. Uh, my mother is here this morning. Happy Mother's Day, uh, mom. Uh, my wife is here this morning as well. Happy Mother's Day to you. I've been reminded over the last two months with a newborn back in my house uh, and my wife's loving care and sacrifice. I've been reminded of God's wisdom and care for little ones by giving this privilege of motherhood to those who he made in his image and called female. Praise God for mothers and happy Mother's Day to you. The kingdom of heaven is like a wedding feast put on by the king. Where will you be during the wedding banquet of the king's son? I have the opportunity and privilege kind of throughout my life to, to be able to, to lead and organize different events. Uh, just this last Friday, uh, my daughter's high school soccer team, we had a, uh, an awards banquet right here in the lobby of the church, and I love to be able to put something like that on and, and oversee the event. Uh, my first memory, really, of organizing events uh, happened in my high school years. Now, this is something I have to tell you that I'm not necessarily proud of and have never shared publicly, so here in this small gathering together, I will... <laughs> share it with you, and I'm sure we can edit it out of the video afterwards. But I had, a, I had a trampoline behind my house growing up, and me and my friends, we put on trampoline wrestling events. <laughs> now, not the type of wrestling that's respectable, the type that they have in the Olympics where you wear headgear and a singlet, not that type, but the type that's foolish where you dress up in costumes, and you walk out with your own entrance music, and you pretend to hit each other. And I would organize this event, and I would invite other friends to come and watch. And just to be clear, there is no video evidence of these things. And if there was, it would be locked up in my closet at home in a safe. And that safe would be a gun safe, just so you know. Now, I'm partially just telling the story because I want to make sure everyone realizes that your pastors are real guys that live regular lives and did silly things when they were growing up. And some of them do silly things still now. Some of us have matured. And I, on that note, I do want to invite everyone to our second annual El Clasico cookout on June 10th. Now, listen, this is an event that we started last year where we have a church-wide cookout in the parking lot, and Pastor Luke and myself and some of our friends, we get dressed up like real soccer players, and we walk out to music, and we play soccer on that tiny field out there and ask everyone to come and watch. Some of us mature slower than others, I guess. <laughs> but I am inviting you to that, and, and just so you know, when you organize events and when you invite people to them, you're and you're constantly inviting them, you're constantly experiencing how people interact with uh, invitations, and they do it in so many different ways. Sometimes your invitation may be ignored. Uh, some will make practical 
sounding excuses. Some will make wild sounding excuses of why they cannot come. Someone told me the other day that they couldn't come to something because they had to watch their dog. You have to watch your dog? I don't understand some people's relationships with their pets. Sorry if I'm stepping on a few toes. But maybe that wasn't even true. Maybe they just don't like trampoline wrestling. And this sermon is going to get better, I promise. But I guess an invitation is really only as significant as the thing you are being invited to. And as Jesus continues in the book of Matthew to teach us about the kingdom of God, he tells us this parable. He tells us this story about an event that is unlike any other event and about an invitation that is unlike any other invitation and about a host who is unlike any other host. Now, the reason that you need to listen carefully this morning is that everyone in this room is represented somewhere in this story. And maybe reading this story this morning will be helpful to you in answering this question. Where will I be during the wedding banquet of the king's son? Let's pray together and ask God for help. Lord, as we look to your word, as we hear what Jesus has said, God, I pray that you would move us, move us to him, Move us to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The text this morning, it is a parable. It's told by Jesus. He was in the temple and he was speaking to religious leaders and others who have gathered to hear what he has to say. And he begins the story like this. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Now, this parable, like all parables, attempts to explain something that is difficult to understand by telling a story that is easier to understand. Jesus does this often while explaining the kingdom of God. And why does he do this so often about the kingdom of God? Well, no one he's speaking to has ever seen it or has ever experienced it. It's difficult for them. It's difficult for us to imagine what the kingdom of God is like. What his kingdom is like is beyond our comprehension, and it's greater than what these parables can help us to see. But let us look to this parable to better understand, because because the kingdom is of utmost importance. Jesus actually told his disciples this. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. First. So what is it like? His kingdom. And again, Jesus is speaking here to a a Jewish audience with some specific references in the parable to Jewish history. But as J.C. Ryle said, parables are like many-sided precious stones cut so as to cast luster in more than one direction. There was much to be learned by Jesus' Jewish audience, but there is much to be seen and learned by us this morning as well. And as we study this parable this morning and talk about the invitation and the feast and what it is that's required to be there, I want you to be asking yourself this question, where will I be during the wedding banquet of the king's son? So back into the text, Matthew 22, 
I'm going to read again verses 1 through 10. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops, and he destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those, who invi those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads, and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. The wedding banquet is coming, and you're invited. The wedding banquet is coming, and you're invited. In the invitation section of this story, we are getting some of the backstory of the Jewish people and their responses to God throughout their history. Right? He chose them as his people. He sent his prophets and his teachers to teach and instruct them. And you can see that even in the parable as uh, these servants go out with the invitation to the people. But God's people, Israel, ultimately rejected him. And they took his messengers and they treated them shamefully and they murdered them. He, in response, God, in response, like the angry king, he has destroyed their city, burned it down for their rebellion. Now, in the story, in the parable of, of a king in a, in a wedding feast, it seems a bit harsh for a wedding invitation, the relationship here. There's enough violence here in this story to make Genghis Khan blush. But this is a story it's a metaphor. It's helping us understand a larger truth, and it's working in some history in the process about Israel and how they have rejected God's invitation. But we shouldn't lose sight of the high stakes at hand when it comes to the kingdom. When it comes to the kingdom, death is on the line. Eternity is in the balance. To reject the invitation of the king to come to the wedding feast, it's foolish how foolish is it? Well, the king's anger burns, his wrath burns as they reject this gracious offer from the king. And so what does the story tells, tell us? He sends out other servants. And where does he send them? He sends them outside the city. He sends them to the main road where any and everyone may pass by. And they gather up all that they can find. The invitation goes out to all, and the banquet hall is filled. I want us to see a couple of things about this invitation. I want us to realize that this invitation that God gives is broad. First of all, I want to make sure everyone here realizes that the invitation into the kingdom is for you. It extends to you. Every one of you in here, you're not too distant from God to be included. You're not too far removed from the city of God to receive the invitation on your doorstep. 
It has made its way to you. And maybe for the first time this morning, you're hearing this, but it's arrived. An invitation from the king to you to come and join. You may have heard the motto, neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night stays these courier from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. Certainly it's not true about the United States Postal Service. But it is about the invitation that God has sent. There is no sin. There is no circumstance. There is no, no gloom of night that keeps the invitation from reaching you. It is there for you. I want to make sure we all realize that. But I also realize that we live in an age where we probably don't doubt that the invitation has come to us. In a time where we've all been told to look inside and see all the good, you're a bright shining star, you're unique, you're one of a kind. In fact, you're so significant that you should catalog everything you do with pictures and video and cast them for the world to see. This is the age that we live in. But it doesn't come to you because of who you are or what you've done. It comes to you by the gracious propulsion of the king. It didn't go as far as you. The invitation didn't go as far as you just to reach you. It's important to see and stop. We are all, thank God, all of us, we're just in the way of the invitation. Haplessly on the main road, wandering through life, but his invitation has arrived to us. But it reaches beyond us. The invitation comes to us, but it reaches beyond us to the end of the earth. It started in Judea and then went to Samaria and somehow it made it to Greensboro and to the ends of the earth. It's for those who are behind you and in front of you. It's for those who are ab above you and beneath you. The invitation from the king. It's the most inclusive invitation that has ever been sent out. There is not one born under the sun that does not feel the warmth of the invitation of the king. And for this reason, we should be very careful not to assume that the people most fit for the kingdom are those who look or act most like us. When the final servants went out to deliver the invitation on the main roads, who did they gather? What does the text says? Who do they gather? They've gathered both bad and good, it says. This may be surprising for you to hear. They gathered both bad and good and brought them into the banquet hall. Both those who followed the law and those who lived outside the law. And in a parable that Jesus had just told, he let the religious leaders know this. He said, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. And here's the point. You may be the baddest of the bad. You may be the goodest of the good. You're invited. You're invited. You may be good and your neighbor may be bad. He's invited. Let him know. 
The invitation goes to all and from all types, it says, the wedding hall was filled with guests. Thank God that his invitation stretches out and goes in and through our goodness and our badness and brings us into the wedding hall. But just as the invitation has gone out to so many, it has been rejected by so many. Just as the gate is wide and the way is broad for the servants who take out the invitation to the, of the king, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it, those who make it into the wedding hall are few. Many, many reject this invitation. And the same feelings of this age that makes us expect to be invited also cause us to turn up our noses at being invited. For why go make much of a king when we have made ourselves kings and queens? Listen to the responses that Jesus gives in the parable. It says, upon hearing the invitation, it says they paid no attention. They couldn't be bothered. One went to his own farm, another to his own business. How many, how many have ignored the invitation of the king because they are creating their own little kingdom? Seek ye first. The kingdom of me is the response of so many. How many of you seek that kingdom out there? more than you're seeking this kingdom in here and the God who this is for. Many are invited, including you all, but many reject it. And don't let that include you. The Father is ready to love and receive. The Son is ready to pardon and cleanse guilt away. The Spirit is ready to sanctify and renew. Angels are ready to rejoice over the returning sinner. Grace is ready to assist him. The Bible is ready to instruct him. Heaven is ready to be his everlasting home. The sinner must just be ready and willing to come. Where will you be during the wedding banquet of the king's son? You're invited. Secondly, the wedding banquet is coming, and the king has prepared a feast. The wedding banquet is coming, and the king has prepared a feast. Imagery is important. A parable tells a story to help you feel and imagine the truth behind the speaker's words. Don't skip past the imagery of the event that Jesus is leading us to. Stop and imagine its implications. Some of you are rejecting the invitation. Some of you in your lives are rejecting the invitation of the king, but you have greatly miscalculated which kingdom is superior. And so let us consider what the parable tells us this morning about the kingdom of God. First, the kingdom is like a great feast. Verse 4, it says, Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, 
I have prepared my dinner. This is the king speaking. I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Now we live in a time and place where we eat what we want and when we want. But the parable is told in a different time. And what's included in this invitation that we need to grasp is that there is a meal that is fit for a king, but that is offered to the guests. The kingdom is like a great feast for those who are hungry. And in the kingdom of God, there is complete provision for all the wants and desires of one's soul. Do you hunger? Does your soul hunger? Do you thirst? Are you seeking something in life that would quench that thirst? There is a table. There is a table that pro provides satisfaction of all your desires. There is a table that has been made by the king himself that provides the satisfaction of all of your desires. And not, not your desires when they're cheapened and mingled with sin, but when they're pure, like gold that's been tested by fire and all of the dross removed. The things that you need and the things that you crave and truly delight in are offered and given in abundance. Like what? Like a feast prepared by the king for his guests. Think on the things that we are starved for when we choose to eat only from the world's buffet. The world's buffet can give a thrill, but how quickly it turns to ashes in our mouth. And only, and only by the lunacy of sin which dwells in our members do we get up and grab a clean plate and return to the buffet. But it never satisfies. You know it, and I know it. There is no argument against this, even those with great wealth and fame and celebrity, those who have 24-hour-a-day access to what the world has to offer, are starving for something more. The table of the king has something more. As David says in Psalm 23 about our king, he says, you prepare a table before me. And he says, my cup overflows. In Psalm 31, he says, oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. Psalm 22, it says, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. The afflicted shall eat at the table of the king and be satisfied. Think on the things that we are truly starved for. Pardon and peace with our maker. Oh, the guilt and shame we carry because of our sin. What are we starved for? Pardon and peace with our maker. And he mixes it with forgiveness and he sprinkles it with kindness and he serves it up with giant ladles. Everlasting joy. Oh, how we seek joy. We seek it in lesser things. We seek it in temporary things. 
But at the king's table, there's everlasting joy, marbled with delight, glazed over with cheer, carved up and given over in great heaping portions at the king's table. What are we starving for? Hope, a sight of glory. There we will find it set before us in a bowl of the finest pottery, drizzled with everlasting beauty. All that we find at the table in the wedding hall, all that we find will be found in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and it will be put into your lap and piled onto your plate. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. The kingdom is like a great feast. The kingdom is also a place of of rest and joy and light. Think on the story. Think on the imagery of the story. The difference between what's happening in the banquet hall and what's happening outside. Those first invited guests who would not come, they pursued their work on their land and the toil in their business. Instead of coming and resting, instead of the comforts and delight, that is offered inside the wedding banquet hall. The other invited guests chose violence and murder. That led to what? Their own death and destruction. Instead of the peace and the happiness of the banquet hall. And that man, that man at the end of the story who we'll talk about in a minute, the one found in the hall without the wedding garment, He was bound and cast out into the outer darkness where there is ultimate suffering. Outside the banquet, utter darkness and the sounds of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Inside, a bright light of glory and the sweet music of the songs of the saints. Don't skip over the imagery. kingdom is a place of rest and joy and light. Outside the walls of the hall is darkness and suffering and death. This parable is not given to scare you of that. It's given to welcome you in a place where your heart can truly rest and delight. The kingdom of God. Also, the kingdom is a Uh, The kingdom is a place where the king is present among his people. This is also what we see in this parable. The king is present among his people. How significant is this? The king, God the Father, walking amongst his guests. Verse 11 says, But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment, and he said to him, Friend, God walking And talking with his people. Well, this hasn't happened in a long time. Not since the garden. If you remember, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Oh, it's been a long time. Now, there's been some presence of the Lord. And it's always good for his people when he's there. Psalm 73 says, but as for me, God's presence 
is my good, but his presence has been limited and complicated. A burning bush, a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, a gentle breeze, a mighty storm, in the inner place of the tabernacle, as we've been learning as we go through Exodus, or in the temple, through the life of the Son and the sending of the Spirit. But here, now, in the kingdom, the Father is back, mingling amongst his people. It's come full circle, like in the days when there was no sin. In that period when there was no death and there was no suffering, that time is coming again. The king will be with his people, a time when God walks in peace among man. In the banquet hall, the king is present amongst his people. Where will you be during the wedding banquet of the king's son? And third, the wedding banquet is coming, and there's a dress code. The wedding banquet is coming, and there's a dress code. Now, there's, there's three actual different types of responses that the people uh, give to the invitations that are sent. The first response, they ignore in apathy. The second response is they oppose in anger. Right, and we, we see these responses happening in that time and in our time. But the third response, oh, this is one that's maybe much closer to home, one that maybe we are much more susceptible to. And this response is accept, accept, to accept, accept. Now, some of you who are from here, the South, and pronounce all of your vowels exactly the same, may not get the nuance of this thought, so I've asked Colin to put it on the screen. And some of you may be thinking, I'm not sure the person who just admitted to trampoline wrestling should be insulting our intelligence. All right, touche. But there are those who accept the idea of the invitation, and they accept everything except for the main thing. They come to the party, but they're not wearing the right clothes. I'm going to talk for a minute about the man who was found in the wedding hall without the garment. Because he is of great importance for us this morning. He is included in this story as a warning for us. He is there without a garment so that we won't, in the end, be there without a garment. And I think for us here in this sanctuary on a Sunday morning in the southern part of the United States, for us as much as anyone else, we need to pay attention to this man. There are some in this room who have rejected the invitation of the king to come to the wedding ban banquet of the son, but, but maybe not by ignoring, maybe not by growing angry and hostile towards the messengers, no, if you're here this morning and you still rejected the invitation, you're probably much more like this man, the one without the garment. He is included for you this morning. Hear this, his fate may be yours. 
Did he deny or accept the invitation? Accept, accept. Here's what we know about this man. He's come in. Something is wrong. Something is wrong with how he has has been clothed. And he will be cast out. So he's come in. Something is wrong. He will be cast out. Now don't get tripped up in this part of the parable. Do not think the intention of this is for us to understand that people are coming in and out of the kingdom. I don't think what is being said here is is that complicated. I think the point here is that there is a specific, particular thing about those who are truly and eternally in the kingdom that is essential and of the utmost importance. Something that without it, you are not in. And similar to a garment, it's something you must be clothed in, wrapped in, covered by. A distinction between the true guests of the king and the pretenders. Now remember when the last invitation went out and the servants went to the main road and they brought people in both bad and good? The people that were brought in, when they were found out on the street, they could be distinguished one from another. There were significant distinctions between those he found out on the main road, both bad and good. One wearing the clean and bright linen of a humble priest. One having on the sweat-stained fabric of a roughneck laborer. One having the dirty, greasy shirt of a swindler and a thief. There were righteous women and there were prostitutes. There were generous, warm-hearted philanthropists and there were tax collectors. Out on the street, they were distinct ethnically, distinct economically, distinct morally. They were brought in, though. All who were found were brought in, both bad and good. And the invitation, it does say, come as you are. But it doesn't say, stay as you are. It says, come as you are, but it doesn't say, stay as you are. Because upon arrival, the old garment, whatever it was, the fine linen of the priest or the greasy shirt of the swindler, whatever it was, the old garment was taken off. It wasn't adequate for entrance into the kingdom. A royal garment was exchanged. Something royal, something holy, something acceptable to the king. Whatever else they had was exchanged for the royal garment of the king. The old distinctions, even the ones of bad and good, were lost. And in that hall, there was a new identity. A guest of the king. One might even say upon arrival, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. The only thing that distinguishes this man now from the rest of the guests in the banquet hall is his lack of the wedding garment. He is missing something. He's missing the garment. Similar to the emperor in the literary folk tale, the emperor's new clothes, who, if you remember, was noticeably improperly dressed. Jesus tells us in this parable that there are those who show up to the banquet naked. Having been convinced and deceived by their own arrogance, by their own self-righteousness, that they are wearing all that is sufficient to be acceptable in the sight of God, they come 
without the proper garment. And not naked like Adam and Eve were before they ate the forbidden fruit in the garden, but naked like Adam and Eve were after they ate the fruit in the garden, stripped of innocence, bare of righteousness, cloaked in nothing but their own sin and shame. When they realized they were naked in the garden, they hid when they heard the king coming. But of course, he finds them. And there is no hiding in the banquet hall. And when the king approaches the man, unlike his father, Adam, who made an excuse, he is speechless. He is without excuse. For in that moment, maybe for the first time in his life, he sees there is something on them that is not on him. Maybe he's eaten a piece of fruit from the banquet table because his eyes have been opened and he sees that he is naked. The other guests were covered with a garment that is foreign to him in his life. What could he even say to the king? Such may be some of you. Hear this warning. The doorman let him in. The wedding guests had not approached him, but God, he is not fooled. Our God, oh, he's gracious, but he is no fool. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And when he looks on the heart on that great day, he's looking for one thing, his garment that he gives graciously to his guests. God clothes his, his people. God clothes his people. I just want to read a couple of passages here from Ezekiel 16, 8 through 14. Listen to what God says about his covenant people, just so we can get this idea of what's happening with this man without a garment. He says, when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty, and your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord. God clothes his people. That's why it's so significant that this man has no garment. He does not belong to God. God clothes his people. Isaiah 61 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Our God, our King, is a King who covers us with a robe of righteousness. And how does he cover us with a robe of righteousness? How can you make sure you're not the one found in the wedding hall without the robe of righteousness. He does it through Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus clothes the children of God. 
a gospel where he takes our sin. He takes our righteous deeds. He takes our evil deeds. He takes our holiness. He takes our shame. And he covers us with the righteousness of Christ. The garment is the righteousness of Christ. Romans 5, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory. Our access into the kingdom comes by faith. This is why we sing about Jesus, worthy is your name. Jesus is worthy of the invite. He is worthy of the feast. He is worthy of the eternal light and joy and goodness. The feast should be his alone. But he came so that we could be invited. He came so that we could partake in the meal and the light. He was stripped of a garment and nailed to a cross so we might be wrapped in a garment and find a seat at the table. The man that didn't have a robe should even bring to our minds the king of kings who will wear a robe. Revelation 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The blood is his own, and the robe he has earned and the wedding garment, he and he alone is worthy to give. Where will you be during the wedding banquet of the king's son? The invitation has come out. Come. Come to, tr to Christ. Come to Christ and join him at the table. Let's pray together.